Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching. Both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Vampire by Carl Theodore Dreyer, Possession by Andrzej Zuvowski, Dead Alive by Peter Jackson, In the Earth by Ben Wheatley, and finally newly released, Hellraiser, directed by David Bruckner. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy, how's it going? It's going okay for me. How was your uh, once again? How's your spooky wook, your spooky wooka movies? This is spooky wooka. Uh, week was good. Uh, I, I'll be honest, was kind of walking away from a lot of these disappointed. Uh, uh, this was definitely a week where I was curating and picking exactly which ones I wanted to watch. But uh, not saying it was a bad week. Just saying it was a little disappointing for me, honestly. Well, I like that the array of movies that you... Well, I can't say array of movies because they're all kind of horror. You're but right, the array right. is far f- fact that it's like we start with 1932 and end with 22. Like yeah. We're going... We yeah. have a 90-year stretch of films. <laughs> it's, it's it big. Might, I think it's the earliest film we've ever done on the podcast. I, I think so, yeah. Uh, it's was kind of cool. Uh, I was definitely scratching my head and I was even looking back at some of our, 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 our master list, the data yeah. uh, <laughs> of the ratings. And uh, yeah, I was trying to think like what is really the earliest... Uh, but uh, you have met, um, Metropolis. No, that's not rated. Really? Earliest is Invisible Man. What year creature? Was, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was uh, thirty-three. I also have oh. Freaks from thirty-two, which was like a real like freak show type of thing. Okay, and I gave it a good rating, but I remember being sick to my stomach. I was eating. I was eating a stuffed pepper with the film, and I, I remember telling you, Tom, I was like, I had I to remember that. not. I actually lost my appetite. So, <laughs> so maybe we'll cover Freaks in, in, uh, in the coming week. Well, this is pretty cool. We're starting all the way back at then in nineteen thirty-two. I guess we've only done one other film that goes back this far. Yep. This is called Vampire. Because uh, it's spelled with P Y R. Yeah, yeah. So it's directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer, who I mean, I mean, that's not <laughs> right. Not surprising. Not really sure. What yeah, else I, he's honestly, done. even watching the film, I don't know. <laughs> so you said you very selectively picked these films. What made you pick this? Yeah. What is it about? And uh, and back in you know ninety years ago. How does it hold up today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is a uh, vampire is a German horror film from '32, and realistically, you probably won't be scared by this film. But boy, does it have some some serious atmosphere here. Um, this goes back actually to some of the pre research, going all the way back to the zombie special of what are the origins of creatures on film, and obviously, vampire mm, goes sure. back much further, or, or vampires uh, in general. But um, vampire is just what I found to be a super 
super, super old rendition of it, so much so that they actually spend a lot of time in the film giving us uh, exposition uh, through title cards and uh, through uh, text on screen of what a vampire is about. And that's, I think, originally what landed this on my list. Things that I will eventually get to. The ever-growing list of films. You know, <laughs> yeah, people recommend yeah. me things, it goes on the list. I find something through research, it goes on the <laughs> list. So. I gotta keep notes <laughs> where things come up. Uh, it is not a silent film, uh, but it still uses a lot of title cards to deliver the main dramatic storytelling. We follow Alan Gray, a man that is forced into curiosity when traveling into a new town. He ends up assisting a local village girl to discover what ailment she is suffering from, and that, of course, is vampirism. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the creepiness of this film comes from just it being really old. I'll say this probably a few times, but uh, the people, the actors, well, first of all, the actors aren't actors. There's actually only one actor, and it is the little girl. She goes on to have a a career in acting. Everyone else is just German locals, and there is just a, a, a fundamental creep to just these old people on film <laughs> like yeah i mean we're dealing with people that were born like in the 1860s yeah, at this point yeah. exactly exactly and um yeah i mean I, you know it's kind of hard to give credit to because i can't really say it's a performance i guess it is a performance you know i'm sure they got paid something <laughs> hopefully yeah a lot of the creepy ap- atmosphere works just from almost the uh, uh, it's a little bit of a misplaced type of uh uh, description of it, but almost an indie way. Uh, it, it is. It has an independent type of feel to the production, and obviously, it's just they are new to creating film. You know, it's really no rules. They don't know the boundaries, right. and that's where we get this feeling from. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. Well, if you think about back that far, it's almost like every single major film being made would have been indie. Uh, yeah, right, right. And honestly, this is like taking off in Hollywood still. So to get this like weird german production yeah. like what is like how many german films are being made at this time I this is a year know. before you know, the year before 1933 before <laughs> right. things really took off if you think <laughs> right. about it that way yeah for real uh I, and, that, and that's maybe some of the curiosity here uh of what kind of played into it and, and again this early early vampire story you know is no less on film yeah i'm just saying looking at some of these stills with the actors it mm-hmm. looks it looks creepy like, yeah there's some old looking people in this yeah. that look crazy <laughs> they're just like scary to look at <laughs> yeah. period you know they're just old you know <laughs> so that's where, and that's where i say like realistically are you going to be really scared are you going to have to turn on the life lights go into the bathroom no but it, the, the atmosphere right uh is dialed in on this then um the film is very dreamlike the opening scene jumps from an old man breaking into his room to a village of literal shadow people um our main character just kind of wanders aimlessly for a while. It feels like he's always being pulled along somewhere. Um, A lot is going to have to be left to the imagination because... It, while it is not a silent film, we're not getting a lot of dialogue here. Again, a lot okay. of what we know about the story is done either through title cards or just still images of books that Alan Gray is reading uh, in in the story. So, uh, you know, down to the brass tacks, why you would watch this in, in, in modern day, I would say the shadow work, of all things, is the main reason why I would recommend this film. Ah. 
it is really gorgeous in some parts. Like, no joke. It's not just simply a feature of being black and white either. Um, the film having shadow creatures is both interesting as a horror device, but also plays favorably into the limitations of the filming at the time. I mean, this is, talk about a right, polar yeah. opposite of Frighteners, where <laughs> <laughs> the tech was bringing it down and probably the tech was far-reaching for the time uh, that it was made. There's just a, a, a simplicity, simplicity to having shadows as a horror creature device within this film, and then it also looking good on the technology that it was shot on. And I think that's, again, where I come, come out swinging for a recommendation of a film this old. 32 yeah. is, is it, no joke. It's funny that you bring up the shadows right away for it being shot like this, is because a lot of, guy, well, a lot of actors who really didn't like color being mm. brought into film they had talked so much about shadow work and mm -hmm. how what you actually lose when you gain color. Sure, And sure. shadow work was a big thing. Absolutely. Uh, even going back to just this this past Oscar season, I mean, talk about how many, you know, Belfast and then Trudge mm. and Macbeth, uh, very much in the praise of, you know, I, the, the, that shadow work was wonderful in it. Oh, well, so. you think back to the Lighthouse, yeah, yeah. which takes off the grainy look also. Absolutely. But uh, if we can just go back also to the act, not so much the actors, but also mm -hmm. the sound and vocal <clears throat> how was the sound we weren't getting bits of orchestra still right it was just not a lot of talking yeah so it, a guy trying to break into his room we're not getting mm -hmm. dialogue but we're getting the noises of a guy breaking into the room yeah you get okay. you get the, the the twist of the lock turning you get um mumbles here and there of um uh people around the town you'll hear like Woo! You know, like okay. in 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 this uh, you know nondescript type of stuff. Right, but so. it's not a lot of orchestra silent uh, yeah, films like we know. Not just like a ragtime piano playing over it. There is right, definitely right. sound design to it. Okay. But at the same time, it kind of is in that same silent film aspect because you get big title cards giving us just like yeah. two paragraphs of okay. what's going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Referring to the character as uh, as a character in a story, even okay. So. I would just say I was shocked how modern the cinematography looks in this, you know, playing into that praise for the shadow work, but also the camera work is by no means static, and it possibly shows us the freedom Dreyer had as a director to let the eeriness of his shoot location speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. More often than not, again, just in the same way that these, you know, quite literally just old people on film was scary and atmosphere-building, the type of town, the small town that he was shooting in, man, it just it just really spoke to a creepiness of its own, and um, I really got to give praise to it there. It also helps that these nineteen thirty actors are are not professionals, and maybe their that ruggedness is is lending to it as well. So, but gen genuinely creepy. That is the note. <laughs> I mean, it is creepy on it on its entirely of its own merits. You know, this is not tricks and gore or anything like that it works on its is own that it's the essence of yeah. spooky and weird feels if you and were in this small funny, town you'd be scared <laughs> you know? and what's funny is it's like i don't know it's it's almost like it's hitting for you in 2022 for the same reasons it would hit back then yeah you can only imagine absolutely very that's kind of cool yeah. honestly i'm scrolling through the cinematographer's work yeah I, I mean, it's all over well he has 77 credits to his name as far as cinematography <laughs> it's i don't know any of them mm. any of them right what was his latest what was his last? Well, his uh, first was 1919 with some other German stuff. And his last was in 47. Wow. Four, okay. So three movies wow. in 47. Wow. 
Um, a working man. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Like, there's something so cool and unique and boiling down to the essence of what is a spooky thing or yeah. how to shoot something. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And, and I really I enjoyed this in a very legitimate way um, just for that atmosphere that was built into it. Now, recommendation-wise, I think, again, if you enjoy horror as the atmosphere in your sp- spooky films, this is definitely a recommend. I think the pacing here might feel right at home for the average A24 fan as well. There's such a slowness, there's such a a deliberateness, a dreamlike uh, aspect to it that I think again, this film was not a snoozer. Uh and, and yeah, the silent aspect or semi-silent aspect is 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 kind of a curve, but I think um it gets a solid rating from me because that you know, that 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 atmosphere was built throughout and it never let up and I'll say even the last 20 uh, 20 minutes or so of the film are fantastic. It really does have a payoff of all things. It should I, I mean we should note it's an hour and 15 minutes only. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> this is uh, not a long watch here, yeah, folks. This is uh, <laughs> quick, quick is and good. dirty, yeah. If you were saying there was a lot of fat to cut, <laughs> we'd have an issue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I may, maybe that was also a secret recipe to why I enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> In and out, real quick, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there there is a a payoff as well to this film, and and to have it actually have me glued to the screen by the end uh, is is impressive. And and again, I think there's maybe a slight bit of credit because it is a 32 film. I want to give some credit to that, but no joke, this is coming out with a very positive recommendation in modern day. And believe me, I'm, I'm considering this, 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 if anything is pushing my own rules to the test with that. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and give vampire a 71. Ooh, very, yeah. ex- this is exciting. Yeah. This is yeah. an exciting one. It was good. I'm glad you started off the week pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I think. Did you actually watch these in chronological order? Um, no. Were you dancing? I was dancing. Okay. <laughs> I was dancing around. <laughs> Maybe to the detriment of some of these. Uh, but. but boy, what a good... I don't know. I could tell you, you were excited about seeing it. Yeah. You picked to watch it, but mm-hmm. I bet you were still shocked with how good it actually was. I really was. I was saying, okay, I mean, this this may be decent, but this is going to be you know, heavily dated. Uh, and, and again, it kind of created a mental exercise for me of, you know, what are what are the limits of, of the rating system? You know, I mean, we have old stuff rated, but... When it gets back to something like super old, like um, Trip to a Moon, for instance, or something like that, you know the the iconic mm-hmm. moonshot with the with the cannon. Uh, oh in, yeah, in its yeah, eye. sure. You know that's only like sixteen minutes. Is that something that's appropriate for the podcast or the ratings? I don't know, but you know, we'll exp- on special. Yeah, yeah, we'll explore to find out. Yeah, so very cool. Well, yeah. that's I mean you can't get much better than that. That's Vampire from nineteen thirty two with the seventy one percent. Very cool. We're jumping all the way to the eighties. This is nineteen eighty one. This is Possession. This mm-hmm. has been done, I think, a couple. Times so this is 1981. This is by Andre Zuwowski, and uh, we have some big names in this one. And again, why did you pick this one? And what do we get with it? <laughs> because it is a doozy of a film. I actually don't know if it has been remade. There, there's, I think it just has a super generic name uh, on on some of these. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as this film, folks, I am very, very excited to talk about this because this has been on my watch list legitimately forever. Oh, um, This film was banned originally 10 years in both the U.S. and U.K. For really? Dis- yeah, for disturbing content uh, and eventually finally got re-released in 1999. Well, it's a lot more than 10 years then. Uh, Eight, it came out in, oh, it came yeah. out in 81. Well... 
I don't know if it was re-released right on the right on the okay. dot of '91 because it's definitely what? this definitely fits into like uh, cult uh, cult hit. Okay, uh, so well, it's not NC-17. It still only got the rated R. And, <laughs> and <laughs> was it shot in? Was it an American-made film? No, no, no. This is uh, French and German. Uh, it is in English, though. So, and we, and we obviously have uh, Sam Neill is in it. Yeah, Sam Neill is our main character in this. So, oh, really, uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I thought he was great. I mean, we'll get to actor notes yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. a little bit. Many critics and film scholars consider this film to be one of the most intense cinematic experiences out there and quickly became a cult hit because of that banning, as often is the rule in any kind of pop media. Yes. You, you put a rating on it, you put, a, you put something to prevent people watching it, people just want to watch it, you know? This, uh, man... This film is a doozy, though. Uh, I will say I was very positive on watching it. I think for the first time in a long time, stewing on it further and really analyzing it, I think it um, it hurt it, actually, okay. uh, for the first time in a while, uh, if ever, on the podcast. Because usually I'm putting more consideration into it because I, I know I like it. I got to find out why I like it. Where this, I knew I liked it. And then I was like, "Do I like it that much?" <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a little messy. Um, well, this is all kind of it happened yeah. before with the Matrix, where you knew you hated it, mm. but then you sat on it and you realized you hated it even more. <laughs> That's very true. Very, very true. But, <laughs> yeah, Resurrections. That is not not yes, not OG yes. Matrix. So, but yeah, the the film is a marriage drama. Honestly, a large part of it isn't necessarily scary. It's just extremely intense. Uh, like there, there is just some yelling matches going on here. Uh, Sam Neill is a spy, some sort of intelligence contractor uh, in Berlin that comes home to a wife played by Isabel uh, Johnny, I believe it's pronounced, and she wants a divorce. This caused both of them to spiral very, very quickly into hypermanic behavior and you're kind of wondering the whole film, why are these two acting so insane? Like, right like, off the bat. Like, way oh, yeah. more than they should be almost. Uh, oh, I mean, <laughs> to the point of lunacy, to the point of hysterics, okay. you know? Uh, so it, it, it's very intense off the back. And I would say if there was a... Why I was so invested into it and, and, and really in love with this is because both of the performances here are excellent, especially Isabel, who gets pushed to such extremes in this film. I mean, if there was a reason to watch it, it's honestly for both of their performances. And JP won all the Jurassic Parks. I was like, I was done with Sam Neill. <laughs> right. And we did another Sam Neill horror. Uh, in the Mouth not- of Madness. Yes. Yep. Yep. Can I, um, I don't know if you were thinking about this at all, but sure. were you thinking, not Magnolia, what was the Tom Cruise one we just did? Oh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Was this any comparisons of marriage falling out and going kind of like being crazy and doing crazy uh, stuff? Uh, maybe similar uncomfortableness okay. on screen. Um, but very yeah, different. Very different, yeah. So, um, wow. It's good to see that a young Sam Neill was holding up. It was really good. And and I would say, I mean, it, Isabel is, is just pushed in such a way for this film. Uh, she does get the crown, but Neil is, is right there with it. Okay. And again, there's, uh, you know... Horror aspects of this film aside, the beginning is extremely just intense as far as the the, the relationship. It's like if Marriage Story was a horror, <laughs> basically, <laughs> which 
It's not a bad elevator pitch to it. Um, so it, it takes us a while to get into the horror. Yes. It's like almost starts off as drama mm-hmm. and we sink into something. Yeah. Okay. In, in a very William Friedkin way, like Exorcist, like Sorcerer, we have the first hour being something almost entirely different genre-wise mm. and then almost right at that halfway point, the flip of the switch right. into into horror. Um, maybe that's not Sorcerer, but uh, regardless, it, that it, it was very reminiscent to my experience with his type of films like that or, or the stories. And, and basically, the film is the collapse of a marriage thrown through shown through extreme intense arguing. There's a scene where they're just having an argument, and there is a electric knife plugged in, just going, mm-hmm. and there is a meat grinder as well, just going in the background, and. <laughs> I, I, slight spoiler, I guess. There's no payoff for that in, <laughs> in the horror way, but it, boy, is it just a taxing film uh, that you're just watching this very intense argument, and then there's just, you know, <laughs> danger noises <laughs> in the background <laughs> of the sound design. It's 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 out there. Like I said, the, the you know the whole time you're kind of wondering what is causing, what is amplifying the hatred on both of the sides of the relationship, and over a little halfway in, we do get our horrifying answer um the film like i said does feel like william friedkin in that way to my experience there's kind of this this genre swap that happens halfway through halfway through the film and maybe even just very specifically to exorcist it it represents that that aspect that first half certainly intense certainly gripping and then halfway in we have this kind of horror film switch uh, turned on i'll say though and this ties into a little bit of my the the marinating, if you will. Sure, yeah, this film. yeah, yeah. The twist is almost too much. I think, you know, I, I I loved this film watching it, but I think it's just a lot to process because it goes from hyper intense to now hyper intense horror. I don't want to get into the comparison game too much, but specifically to possession, I mean, I I just it, it's it's a little bit too much to ask from the audience to say, okay, now we're switching lanes and it's just as crazy, but now it's just crazy in a different way. It's it's it's, it's a, a tough bit ride like, to hang on to. Yeah. Do you think yeah. it was almost like okay, we had something here, and then the director thought of okay, what's the craziest thing that I could just mm-hmm. do? So let's just do it. Not uh, that it's lazy, or it, but you know what I mean. There is there's weird for weird sake. You hit the nail on the head that you did, I feel you were the, getting that feeling. Yeah, the envelope gets pushed multiple times, even after that halfway mark, and it's okay. like oh, um, uh, more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, okay, we're we're doing more then. And to the point of not really adding to crazy or anything yeah. well, maybe you could say of the exorcist getting building and getting sure, crazy sure. was was worth it and there's payoff and yeah. there's absolute where here there was a little bit of weird for weird's sake okay uh, and believe me I, I like weird movies you know what i mean there's a weird list we got here this right. week and you know you, I mean? it's funny because you were enjoying it in the beginning yes but thinking about it more it's almost like the shock of it had you liking it more i i and think c- so and coming down it's just like was that necessary it, it seems i'm just trying to process mm-hmm. were you sitting there thinking like okay was this necessary no 100 was that necessary yeah. no yeah and i think my main takeaway is that as powerful as this marital, you know, divorce drama was and how powerful the performances were, the way the horror is flavored 
certainly shocking, certainly visceral. It honestly does cheapen a very good story in that first half uh, and, and okay. makes it a little bit more of a sideshow kind of spookiness to it. That that really was the takeaway after after stewing on this is that uh, there was a it, it cheapened the first half of the film and I think that's what was was a product of how much it tried to continually push its own envelope uh, to. I don't know what extent, you know what I mean? There's, there's, it's almost, there's almost no upper ceiling on how crazy okay. the film gets out eventually. Which kind of sounds exciting. Yeah. It sounds crazy to watch. And that's, it is. You know, it is nice to watch something that's just like, okay, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. I would say a perfect touch to balance these out uh, and, and why I lean so much into this exorcist example is to have a small, one small scene from the wife's per- perspective to give some slight hint. I mean, I'm talking very first scene of the film, some slight hint to the horrors looming around the corner. That way we at least know the flavor of this right. marriage drama. Your feet are is, in the water. Exactly. Yeah. In the in the first Exorcist, they they have this archaeology scene with Pazuzu, the, the the demon. It's really not related to anything for a lot of the film. I mean, like a lot. Even even when we get into crazy horror stuff, but it gives you some sort of foreboding. Like, okay, there's clearly something sure. being organized behind the scenes here, and I think that would really do wonders for this film. But it did not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some positives because I do have to kind of draw them back. I would say. The film is gorgeous. Every scene is is in this pale blue hue. Um, there's a certain mournfulness to the collapse of the relationship. I genuinely love the cinematography here. Every shop is obsessed with symmetry on the screen of some sort. It really is a gorgeous looking film. And it's very surreal, a, a lot of dreamlike qualities. Scenes progress with minimal storytelling sometimes, and I think a lot can add, I think that itself can add a lot to the frustration of a user experience. I think, believe me, I was kind of uh, really rolling it over in my head of why this film actually got banned, and I think it's just that the, these, these scenes with minimal storytelling uh, maybe just got people so. It, they, they didn't have any kind of point of reference uh, on why certain she- scenes were being put out there. But in reality, I mean, the whole film is very surreal and dreamlike, you know? It's still weird that it'd be get, get banned. Yeah. I mean, it's in the early 80s. Like, didn't we have, like, crazy, practically porno films? Like, NC-17 yeah. was, like, coming out a lot. Well, rated X back sure, then. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Like, those were loud in theaters. I know. Yeah. I, it's it, just it's weird. very I know, because specifically, you make a great point, because 81 is still, you're getting some rough films still. You know, it's definitely on that yeah. late 70s. 70s trying to be hard edge. Rated type. X was a very yeah. big thing. A lot of people were still like on tape and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And, and, and I think, think that it debuted on, I believe it debuted at Cannes. Yes, yes. Right? And got, uh, you know, original praise. I believe the timeline is then got banned and then kind of was resurrected as this kind of cult hit. Wow. I'll tell you what, this like, was what hard a, what to a find. roller coaster, though. Yeah, like, what yeah. a roller coaster. Oh, it was hard to find, oh, huh? Oh, yeah. This was real hard to find. Oh, uh, okay. To, had to, what, what was it? I have it on the, somewhere in my notes. I had to subscribe to Metrograph. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not sponsored. <laughs> not sponsored. And honestly, not a great user experience. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> you know, maybe if you're really curious, give it a give it a Blu-ray buy. So <laughs> have we have we seen anything else from this director? By the way, no. And if anything, I was really you know again I was in love so much with the filmmaking here that I was 
ready to start drafting up a special just on him. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, mean, he made his last thing he directed was in 2015. Yep. He, yep. Wrote, he wrote stuff in 2019. Yeah. It's, it's, Kinda uh, cool. yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I I'm sure. curious more about him, but, you know, this, this film definitely was, was a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Okay. Uh, especially because I have to think about, you know, I was in love with aspects of it. Not everyone is going to have that investment. Not everyone is going to have that, you know, glued to the screen aspect that I'm really kind of even trying to study this film. Right. Uh, and I think that's where the confusing elements, if I had kind of a gut reaction to it and I felt kind of cheapened the experience, I, you know, I really do wonder what that's going to do for anyone watching this film. But yeah, it, it, it does. <laughs> I guess I was spoiled by the, uh, <laughs> The hour and fifteen of Vampire, <laughs> it does run a little bit too long, and two, I think two hour four. Yeah, I I just think it's again in that second half, it is constantly pushing its own envelope. No one is asking for it, <laughs> and it is it, again and again and again. It is getting weirder and weirder, and I think that is where I think a lot of this is weird for weird's sake because. I don't know. I mean, I, I was really trying to tie things thematically together, but the more I put thought into it, yeah, I could maybe put the pieces together on the horror side, but it only cheapened the marriage side, and that was the side I enjoyed. That was the intensity I enjoyed of Interesting. this film. Yeah, the uncomfortability, uncomfortability of the marriage and yeah. just you sitting in your seat and soaking yeah. that in. And having no answers to why the, the relationship is falling apart, mm -hmm. and having no mm -hmm. answers to why these two are so batshit crazy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really off-the-lid crazy. Uh, and wonderful scenes like that meat grinder scene that there's no real payoff to it, but it's like you're sitting sure. with this intense yeah. moment. Yeah. And I was kind of fine with that. And then to have the film push so far, I don't know. I think it was it, it definitely like, again, my takeaway here and my takeaway on my reflection of this film is that the horror actually cheapens what was near perfect in the first half mm, of the okay, film. All right. So it was pushing in its own envelope so much uh, to the point that it was, you know, it felt like it was just for spectacle, just for shock. And, and, and I'll, I'll wrap this up, folks. Uh, you know, I'll admit there are qualities to the filmmaking here that yeah, easy, easy, without a doubt, uh, would be high 80s. I was wow. really like, whoa, whoa. That first hour you were yeah, on a high. I was in it. But the intense, you know, the intense drama it is it is taken away from. Um, you know, I enjoyed it in the first hour. The cinematography I enjoyed throughout. It was stunning. But where the st uh, story becomes a true horror, the film stumbles. Um, the aspects of unpacking their relationship specifically is cheapened by the horror. And all of a sudden, it's nothing we thought. And it feels... Like, we leave the story with too many holes in it. Uh, with some reflection, I don't think there are holes in the second half of the story, but, you know, there, there's, a, there's a conflict here, and, and, and unfortunately kind of drives the movies down. I would say it both lived up to the hype and didn't, and I was really hoping for a kind of a Blair Witch scenario where I was walking oh. away, and I was like, oh my god, it, it, how did this film actually live up to be as good as the legend? Yeah, you that know? was a good one, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, I, I don't think it's the case here. It's still very, very good, but a touch too much of a mess to make me go with my initial feelings on the rating. We're going to go ahead and give Possession 1981 a 77. Oh, my God. A 77 is still a really good score. It's still a good movie. But that's just how high it was hitting. Yeah, that's... That first, and, that first hour. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. I was really saying, whoa, I, I, I'm so glad I put this on my list at some point. And I was like, I was still happy to watch it. And clearly... You had to I, be. I, 77 is a good score. I'm still recommending to watch it for those, you know, all of the reasons I talked about. Right. But uh, just understand, it's not a must-watch, you know, where I was thinking right. okay. this was going to be a must-watch. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you kind of limited expectations there. But a 77 is still a very yeah. good movie. It is still good. And, and it, if it, you want to just be blown away... Yeah. Is this a movie for me? Oof. <laughs> if you if we watch it Sam together, Neil, I think Sam Neill is fascinating in this. This yeah. may be his best performance. Remember, Sam Neill's not my guy. Sure, I don't sure. think I've ever said he was my yeah, guy. I don't think so. Either. <laughs> we need a chart. Of, half, yeah, half of the actors in the world are, but I don't think he's my boy. Right, I just like to see him do well. But yes. <laughs> I think maybe if you and I watched the film together, I could enjoy yeah, it more or yeah. something like that. Like, yeah. this is something I would never put down. Oh, no. Sit down, no, eat a stuffed pepper, too. And... <laughs> no. This, yeah, this is no stuffed pepper. This is no stuffed pepper for sure. Um, yeah, no less having to jump through hoops to watch it, I think, realistically. Dude, what did you watch it on? Uh, Metrograph. You couldn't, like, buy it on Amazon? No, no. Unlicensed currently. And actually, our next one is unlicensed as well. I had to watch that on YouTube. Oh really? Yeah, and then uh, the YouTube one was 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 absolute garbage. So then I just oh. I just downloaded it illegally. I mean, I had to review a good copy. Of I the would film. have sworn that this next. Okay, well, how about this? Okay, so seventy seven possession. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we're going right into. I just want to see how wacky it gets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, eighty one. We're jumping to nineteen ninety two. We're picking with uh, up with our Peter Jackson study, which I love. <laughs> um, Working backwards. This is Dead Alive, his nineteen ninety two kind of horror fantasy that came out. Original title Brain Dead. Yeah, a good good catch. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what I think still Brain Dead in like New Zealand, Australia. There, I was, I okay, was, we just noticed Dead Alive. Yeah, yeah. And always when I went back in his stuff, though, it was also Dead Alive. Okay, okay, okay. So that's weird to me, just because it has Jackson's name behind it. That this wouldn't be more available. But once again, I agree. We have Dead Alive. Obviously, we know that we're doing Peter Jackson stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do we get with this? So yeah, we <laughs> go, uh, go through it a bit. Just three years earlier, and um, I would say significantly looking more amateur uh we're going into the early days as jackson as a director and you know we've we've spoke about many times on the podcast tom you know how that can be a good or bad thing but here it's it's already an old film and the film probably looks 12 years older than it actually is as well (laughs) it looks like it was made in 80 yeah oh yeah for sure (laughs) it does not look like a what was it 93 or 91 92. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely looks, you know, if anything, early se- or late 70s. So, <laughs> But this film was on my list as it is praised as one of the goriest films ever. Um, I'm not sure I would give it the crown, but uh, the, the type of horror here is definitely like gross-out gore horror. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also where a little bit of this tagging of a comedy comes into play. We were we were talking about last week how this was, you know, why is he doing these horror comedies? Why are they comedies yeah. and horror? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, what, yeah. what is the focus here? I think the this isn't so much like they're cracking jokes. Uh, it's more so the 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 type of gross out. It's trying to you know get you a little bit of a reaction. You know. Yeah, it's it's purposely really pushing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, believe me, that that gore is a priority for the film. So you know, I can't say I'll give it the da- daily ratings crown of most gory film, uh, right. but we'll see. We'll see. Dead Alive, uh, and as you said, Tom formerly known as Brain Dead or otherwise known as Brain Dead. It's about a a man 
that is in a budding relationship, uh, they come across a hybrid rat monkey that spreads a zombie disease to a very New Zealand town. I mean, this is the most <laughs> New Zealand I think we've ever gotten on film. And, and that includes the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> it is it is a it is a transport to to New Zealand. All the actors, you know, it's 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 great. Well, we know. I mean, one of the most pinnacle sets in Lord of the Rings comes comes from this movie. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, a, a romance is kind of playing out in the film. Our very dopey lead is trying to keep it cool as everyone is turning into zombies around him. Um, the comedy kind of works. Uh, I'll have to admit that it got some slight laughs out of me. Uh, I think it slightly reminds me of Shaun of the Dead in the sense that a lot of the comedy setup is not realizing the severity of a zombie outbreak. Uh, right. Uh, I, I would say this comes nowhere near as close to Shaun, Shaun of the Dead, though, because it is not using those tropes to build the setup on. You okay, know what I mean? doesn't belong on the zombie special. Exactly, right. exactly. Okay. And, and another way that we can plug the zombie special. Right, well. right. Great episode. <laughs> the gore is pretty outrageous here. I would say there is a grindhouse style to the gore that they are just, you can just tell that they are just... They had a bunch of buckets that they 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 mixed with a with a, with a drill. <laughs> the paint mixer, uh, yeah, just, the paint mixer and just corn syrup and oh and yeah, red the, food coloring. They're just throwing it everywhere. <laughs> um, I would say you know I, I I don't personally you know really love that style, but uh, specifically notable is an end sequence with a lawnmower lawnmower blade, and uh, that is uh, something noteworthy. So if you are a fan of extreme gore or want to see you know. More of a push to the limits, exactly. Yeah. Uh, certainly comedic in its excess as well. Right. This maybe gets uh, you know a slight nod from me, but um, I-, I would say, unfortunately, what sinks this film, and I mean really critically sinks this film, are these amateur aspects. What suffers most is the editing and the sound. Okay. I had to jump through hoops not to only find this thing, to find two different versions on mm. YouTube for free. And I was like, all right free both had independent problems <laughs> really yeah i don't know if it was how they kept it up without getting it taken down wow but, okay uh, uh to the point of actually finding a copy eventually and unfortunately it did not resolve what i was scrambling to say oh this can't be the film there are very there's almost a b movie quality to this film uh it is really not great um, the editing and the sound specifically are incredibly amateur. I'm almost surprised you were surprised by that. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know. I wanted to give Jackson a I chance. Did, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think I've seen part of this movie before. So oh, really? I think I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that must have been quite the shock then to see him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it, for me, you know, uh, this is a scenario where... If there's going to be something technical like that, and believe me, we talk about technical aspects on the podcast, sure. you know, as far as CGI being a perfect example of that, it really is, is this breaking the experience? Well, a technical aspect when it relates to sound, poor quality and sound glitches, and then as well, uh, the editing itself, just like there's just some bad cuts in this. Uh, and yeah, I mean... It really sunk the whole thing. Honestly, I would not recommend this film <laughs> because like, of what it. tech were they using? I don't. It wasn't know. that long ago. 
It really wasn't. It was 30, 30 years. Exactly. exactly. We're in the 90s. Again, even, even with the 12-year age. New Zealand, though. Yeah. I mean, New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand a little behind in, yeah, the, early ni- yeah. in the early 90s. They, they had to catch up. <laughs> they had to catch uh, up a little yeah, bit. Again, I mean, only 10 years later, The Two Towers was coming out already. Oh, I know. It, to, that, that has been the most mind-boggling thing about watching these two <laughs> films. is just like, this man. <laughs> it shocks argue, us all. I mean, maybe made the, the one of the greatest epics of all time you know what i mean uh, this man who gave him the money who i don't i definitely say that Dude, new line did not watch any of his films new <laughs> line in the 90s was so great well they were the given paul thomas anderson paul thomas sure, anderson yeah. made boogie nights at the age of 26 that's true they which were, is bonkers some dice yeah but um it, it's yeah it's just wild it it's is, wild it really is wild so because i think this is proper b-rate movie yes like proper grindhouse uh b-movie you know so bad it's good you know i mean uh, <laughs> it's funny you say that yeah <laughs> well yeah. we'll talk about that later yeah yeah uh it is it's tough uh it really is tough on this one uh i can't tell if it's better or worse than kind of an evil dead army of darkness sure. um i think it's definitely worse after reflecting on it um but is it absolutely in that same category that you're kind of watching this for the outrageousness of it not the film itself you know something that can be appreciated for its cult status but is something that you would be hard pressed to call good on its own and and, and for that reason i i can just tell this movie might not just not be for me either. I, I, you know, flashing back to earlier in the podcast, I look back on some of my Evil Dead ratings, and I think they're a little harsh, admittedly, but I stand by them because you show an average movie watcher those movies, uh, and they're they're gonna think they're trash, you know. Yeah. And this, you know, there may be a cult aspect to enjoy this film. There may be an outlandishness to the gore and and everything like that. But you show, uh, you know, any you know, I'm talking, I don't know, I'll throw a percentage out like eighty five percent of the people that watch movies. This movie, they're just not gonna like it. No. You know, no, yeah. I think more than eighty five. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in almost every way, I, I enjoyed this more than Frighteners, and that's the win. Uh, but I think the amateurish elements of the filmmaking and the low quality really sink it. Below low frighteners uh and i'm telling you besides some special effects work it was kind of pulling teeth to get through it for the production and the production alone so uh if you do decide to watch it because i always like to give a little bit of a um, little bit of uh, both sides of the coin here if you do decide to watch it try to find the unrated version try to really dive full into the this 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 gore you know gross out type of comedy horror that this is uh, there are some notable aspects, specifically, you know, uh, again, a very, very gore-filled <laughs> finale to this film. So if you do decide to watch it, understand it may fall somewhere on the so good it's bad scale. I think for everyone else, though, we're going to go ahead and give Dead Alive a 25. Oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. What do we get, Frighteners? I think 30-something, 35. So it's That's worse terrible. than Frighteners. I can't remember a week. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, unfortunately, it is. Because uh, Frighteners kind of hits on a functional level, and it's just kind of dated because of the CGI. Wow, and 25, you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's a hard no-go. Okay. And, and and I'm I hate to say it, you know what I mean? I really want... I mean, this was all about giving yeah. Jackson a shot. 
Well, you know? there is. Don't forget, there's one in between the movies that we've done. Yes, and this uh, is more the one, of a drama, right? Yeah, but this is the one where he gave Kate Winslet yes. kind of his thing, and it was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, okay. I think okay. for writing. Okay, so just keep him and away from horror. You it, know. <laughs> I would say it has an 86 on Metascore. Okay. Right? However, I don't know how much that means because Dead Alive on Rotten Tomatoes has an 89 <laughs> by critics and an 87 from audience members. Oh, my God. And I think that's BS because, like I said, yeah. I think I watched an hour of this film. Yeah, and it's... And it's like, mm, it's no. tough to tell sometimes with these cult hits, you know, and um, like I said, again, Evil Dead, perfect example. I would like to, you know, I find myself liking the idea of the movie more than I like the movie itself. Yeah, you know, I, I just got to be, I got to be honest with myself and I just don't think, you know, I can stand by wow. even, sl- Dead Alive now specifically, I can't stand by recommending that to anyone. There's not, there's very select cases where I would say, oh yeah, yeah, check, check out Dead Alive, you know. It's just fun right. like very that, select. Know? Maybe if like friends are together, yeah, exactly. And, you're, and it's like October, and your boys watch, booze watch. You know, yeah, yeah. A drinking game would be interesting with it. It might be a little Thinking gross. Might, might might create some gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a whole different category. <laughs> this, well, bad movie, but it's a drinking game movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, we'll get some stickers on the website. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm personally still interested in that '94 movie he made. With yeah. Kate Winslet, because if it's getting, if that's really, I think that's where New Line mm-hmm. said, okay, we trust this guy, right? Because he's Winslet, doing something because, dramatic, yeah. You know? And anytime you get on the Oscar board, it gives yeah, you, it's exactly. like, well, okay, here's a cred, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but okay, that's enough with that. That's <laughs> enough, t- enough with Jack. Twenty five percent with Dead Alive. He's he's going on the back burner for a little <laughs> bit, a little touch bit. Um, so this came out last year. This is twenty twenty one. This film is called In the Earth. I really don't know anything about it. It's directed by Ben Wheatley. I don't know if I know anything about him. Okay. Uh, once again, this was on your radar. Why? What did we get with it? Yeah, so um, uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle last year. Uh, this came out just last year. Yeah. Um, I don't think we were doing the podcast just yet, but it was just something I didn't get around to in kind of those in kind of the early days of establishing it. Uh, director writer Ben Wheatley is pretty solid. Uh, I, I you know <laughs> I kind of just said it, but it really belongs to this film. I enjoy the premises of his films more than I. Enjoy the films themselves uh, i feel like oh, they I have good oh, kind yeah. of elevator pitch yeah uh two decent films would be in, in his filmography i would say is uh high rise mm-hmm. and free fire but in, real- in reality it's not they're not that great i would say no. decent is the word you know what i mean it's not like yeah. uh yep. you know i'm not even saying oh yeah you gotta go see that you know it's just like it's all right definitely not i remember i remember I th- we might have watched free fire together uh yeah, one of or, them actually. High, I I think it might have been High Rise because we were going. I off have of... not seen High Rise. Oh okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 that I haven't seen, and I think I was going to. We were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Then you watched it, and you're like, you had that reaction. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. It was yeah. good, but like whatever. Cool kind of highbrow concept, but yeah, yeah. And, and for what it's worth, I would add this to that type of category. Only decent, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was originally very attracted to the visuals here. I do follow the composer as well uh, for the soundtrack, and I think that is a very big highlight here for the film, but uh, only decent is where I'm coming out with it. Lukewarm, as I've probably said a million times now on the okay. podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, whatever. Yeah. That's, it's okay. Clint, um, Clint Mansell, by the way, it's yeah. music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
the pitch here is conservationist horror. We follow two scientists investigating a vast park forest. There's also kind of a background element to the story that is a nod to COVID. It's not that important, but interesting how they kind of tie that together, especially this coming out in 2021. In a slippery slope, they get lost in the woods and come across a, you know, kind of a group of fanatics of sorts. Uh, and quickly the story evolves into a kidnapping, you know, escape premise to it then. Okay. Uh, I would say this is real slow. Uh, definitely gets our, our, our slowest of the week. <laughs> Slower than a 1932 film. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. That's we felt like over <laughs> didn't, two. Didn't know it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so fun. It's 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 weird how I will take note of it sometimes. It's to the point of even being notes, and then other times just like oh, I know what this is. <laughs> this is slow. <laughs> And but, it's a small cast, correct? Uh, yes, yes. So we're not dealing with a whole really lot. Four main characters. Okay. Yeah. And maybe that's some of the. We're not getting like a, a lot of dynamic aspect mm-hmm, to it. Sure. We will be covering in Hellraiser in just a moment a film by by David Bruckner. Uh, this does is slightly reminiscent of his film The Ritual. Uh, really a favorite of mine. It felt like how survival in the woods is a horror element itself or even just used to amp up horror kind of amp up the stress of the scenario in just the same way that that's done in the ritual as i feel like that's done very much here as well so uh again i mean kind of once again a kind of interesting premise you know conservationist horror you know they're going into a park that no one is allowed so there's a certain like whoa we're not finding any help or anything like that so why are conservation if I'm not going to get into it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm already, I'm like the premise I'm having issue with. <laughs> what? Well, no, it's just like, okay, so conf- so it's a forest that isn't under threat, but they're going to go in it anyway? Um, <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I think it's, it's they're, they're scientists. What are they uh, trying to conserve? Th- <laughs> you really got a problem with the Sorry. premise? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, well, I mean, there, there's, for instance, there's a scientist character that is using sound to like, study i believe the electromagnetism in the trees and it like creates like a okay. synthiness to it okay so, all, right, all right all right <laughs> maybe, maybe not study maybe, <laughs> maybe they said we need to film outside because of covid and yeah, they yeah, said we're yeah, gonna yeah, do exactly this. right yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah part of my middle of the road feelings on this is that it really comes from performances i think across the board i never felt i could place myself in any of their shoes both for logic but also, also reactions. The things I do like, and I would say that the one thing that kind of lands this with a slightly positive recommendation is I really like the soundtrack a lot. It has just the right amount of synthy, you know, it, it has this. Okay. I, that's, I like that too. Yeah, you know, I mean, if I'm going to praise It Follows for atmosphere almost exclusively, you know, I mean, uh, this does hit on similar notes. Um, it plays slightly into the story as well. Like I mentioned, there is a scientist that is using sound equipment, so I enjoyed that. Clintman Cell composes here, and he just does a great job at kind of creating this curious but dark atmosphere in the woods. Science meets spooky. It's a it's a good example of um, where a, a soundtrack can really elevate things. And I and I reflect mm. positively on the film when when we're lingering on trees, when we're lingering on wilderness, and the soundtrack is just doing some serious heavy lifting to create a foreboding to it. You know? Yeah. 
I mean, I like that. And the guys, he also did Moon. He did Black Swan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doom, mm-hmm. 2005. With your boy. He's got chops, and I can kind of picture kind of his, you know, how they all have a style. Kind yes, of. yeah, yeah. But if it's doing all of the heavy lifting, I mean, that's great that it's putting you in the proper atmosphere, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if that's all that the movie's really been able to do well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 not it's not a huge recommendation. So, I would say uh, this film is very psychedelic. Um, characters actually trip in this, and uh, I didn't find it too inventive as far as how it's pronounced. It's just kind of just a visualizer, nothing special, not bad, and certainly not to over compare to Mandy, but really hits on that same benchmark where there are sections of the film just dedicated to visuals and visuals alone. Just to give a maybe a switch up in comparing to Mandy, I'll compare actually to that same director's earlier work, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Mm. Uh, so uh, between this, between um, Don't Worry Darling, you know, we're finding that psychedelic kind of visuals are, are definitely coming back and in right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe <laughs> for better or maybe worse, viewers out in Colorado or something. Right, right. <laughs> Washington. I just think this film was lacking for. A couple different reasons, not bad, just underwhelming. I guess uh, I was kind of just waiting for this film to start the whole film, and it never really gets the gas <laughs> to, to really get going. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give In the Earth a 57. Okay, 57. And kind of like what you said with this director where everything is like, Oh, yeah. Okay, good, but, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was fine. It yeah. was fine. Yeah. And yeah. 57 is representative of that. I forget what we got Free Fire. Um, I think it did better than this, though. I, I think so, too. Because uh, I bet the whole, pre- the whole premise with Free Fire was kind of just more electric a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and around kind of gun work. Yeah. Almost a Reservoir Dogs type of style to it, uh, but that being the whole film. But just in the same way, and, and, and for sure my memory with High Rise, I enjoyed the premise, the elevator pitch, more than I did the film itself, you know? Uh, Absolutely, I enjoyed the yeah. idea of the film, and I don't think that makes a good film. You know, what I mean, it could no, maybe get you in the door, but that's the it. execution isn't there. Exactly. Yeah, and that's how we get okay in the earth with the fifty-seven percent. All right, Vin, very good. So we're going to keep things going here. Right before we get to our last film, we just want to go ahead and go into the producer segment here. We have one producer to thank for today. Uh, this producer donated twice, very oh, quickly really? in a row. Okay, uh, five dollars each, so ten dollars total. So we okay. read his first. I don't know if he, they forgot to a faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we went five bucks at a time. So this is Matt D coming in twice. Okay, um, for ten dollars total. But his first, his first note that he read was just missed opportunity, not calling the podcast the weekly daily ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, very fair true. enough. Yeah, I listen. You know, <laughs> we got point, the Matt. LLC already. I mean, it's too late. <laughs> I'm actually, some, I'm shocked that I've, I've been caught shit for more from people. Oh, just for the name. Just for the name. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But it works. But no, it's true. It is the weekly daily yeah, ratings. We, you know, I mean, I got the spelling on the last name. We were just going with it. <laughs> uh, but Matt, thanks for the first five dollars. And Matt D came in, like I said, another five dollars here, and he says. Have you considered a different score for the so bad it's good element? Mm. A sort of reverse daily score. By giving them a bump based on an element that doesn't exist for most other films, it can throw the one-to-one comparison out of whack. For example, The Room got a 23. The Expendables got a 22. And Justice League a 17. If you remove the enjoyment derived from laughing at its badness, mm-hmm. The Room surely executes every movie-making element worse than those other two movies. So maybe in this case, 
it would get a 2 on the daily ratings and an 88 SBIG, or So Bad It's Good <laughs> so rating. So Bad It's Good. That's what we, we brought it up in this episode. I mean, some sort of sticker, some sort of so, uh, special classification. Well, here's what... So this was fun because this is the first time you read this note. Yeah. yeah. So, Matt, when you wrote this in, I got it right away, and it was very... I love this note, first of all. This is one of my favorite Absolutely. notes. Absolutely. I, I love the referencing of other scores. I yeah. had, it was, I was at an hour at work just <laughs> kind of thinking about this. Really? Well, it made me think a little bit. Oh, wow. But I will have to say, overall, I love the room getting a 23, Expendables getting a 22, and Justice League getting a 17. <laughs> because there's a thing of what are we basing our reviews off of? You know what I mean? Yeah. So when it comes to, fun- it's not zero to 100% based on how the functionality of a film. Mm-hmm. Functionality of a film often coincides with a good score. Sure. And when it's functioning really, really well, typically the score is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always click. It's not what makes it up completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's also enjoyment factor. It's also, is this movie worth a watch for those of you listening to this and producing? Something that's a we big... always say, is it worth your time? Is it worth your time? Is it a must-see? Is it something that you should go out to see? This, you know, this movie is good for these people, blah, blah, blah. So there's something about... Because it's so bad, it's good. That's the thing. That that it's also good. You know <laughs> what I mean? True. And the room's a perfect example. And functionality. That. And he's completely right. When it comes to actual, if you just looked at it as a functionality of a film basis, the mm-hmm. room probably would get a two. Mm. And it is way worse than the Expendables and Justice League. <laughs> yeah. But there's something so frustrating about the Expendables. There's something really frustrating when I go and watch Justice League. Oh yeah. Because I'm watching a video game most of the time. It's writing. It's just that's not even Snyder cut. That's OG Justice that's, League. Right. No. Right, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I, it's funny to think that those are what the scores are. And it does kind of look ridiculous. And you're right, Matt, that it's not a one-to-one comparison. Mm-hmm. It does kind of throw it out of whack. But I think for these movies, and it's not many, mm-hmm. it's not money where the room is almost uh, maybe definitely 10 an, of them. an anomaly, too. You know, over 800, yeah, out of over yeah. 800. So it's tough. I don't know. I st- I would have to say I like these scores still. Because yeah. when it's so bad, it's good. It's how are you enjoying this film overall? And I think- Sure, the functionality is, gar- is garbage for the room. <laughs> But it's so bad it's that so it bad. is actually still good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's just one of the rarities. And then it's like, should we do a separate score? I, I don't. I think I, uh, a, some sort of note, a uh, flag we can put on a movie. But you know? to Matt's point, Matt's saying is that the daily rating score should actually be the two, mm. and the SBIG, the sp- <laughs> the Spig score, the sp- <laughs> should that should be the eighty-eight. Yeah, but the problem is, well, is I, don't, it, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if an 88. Uh, I mean, I don't know. But it's on the so bad, it's so good. It's It's, true. It's it's, true. Good scale. It's a completely different scale, which we haven't actually figured out ourselves. We were playing around with 50. I think even going back to the room review, we might have even been talking about. We were. Where do we position this? But still, because the fact of the matter is, when you came off of that film, The Room, Mm -hmm. you didn't think two was it because you think it was actually, in a way, somewhat worth a watch. Yeah. I mean, 23 is a bad score. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's somewhat more of a worth of a watch than The Expendables and Justice League. Sure. And I have to or say... Catwoman or, yeah, any of the right. low ones that we've covered. And that's what it comes down to. Functionality, I think, Matt, you're totally right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But when it comes to overall experience watching a film, mm-hmm. if you give me... You put The Room and Justice League next to each other 10 times... And which one I'm going to watch? <laughs> I'm probably going to go towards the room more often. Oh yeah, because I know generally speaking, I'm going to have a better time overall. For sure, for sure. So I was thinking about the so bad it's good, and maybe on the page we could make a note of it. We could also 
make a whole different page on the site. That could be a compilation idea for sure. It could be a compilation, but I mean like a dedicated page. Like we have the must-watch films, (laughs) and then we have the so bad they're good films. (laughs) And we can have a little explanation to it or something like that. But they don't come up often. Yeah. And I I think my general thoughts on it is definitely around, um, you know, that's why we have the audio review to supplement my thoughts, you know, beyond just a a, a static number. Because almost every time it comes up with so bad it's good, Mm -hmm. we do have a decent amount of dialogue on it. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking back to – I'm thinking back to actually multiple Nick Cage movies Mm. of – Prisoners of a Ghostland. Prison, no, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yes. Yeah. But then even the uh, the superhero one. Um, he plays Kick-Ass? the flaming skull. He plays the flaming oh one. Ghost Rider. Yes. Ah, right, right. Ghost Rider had an element of that, but definitely Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Absolutely, a so bad. It's good. And I think we talked about that a lot. This, yeah. And that. So mm-hmm. I think as long as you're listening, there's nuances there, and we mm-hmm. explained it out pretty well. As far as the scores. I can totally understand how people see, like, okay, Justice League is 17 in the room, 23. Mm. But again, it's overall experience. I personally found Justice League extremely frustrating (laughs) and a film I don't really ever want to touch again. The room, I'm absolutely going to go and touch again. True, true. So that's my take on it. I think that's great. I think, uh, and honestly. Now it's your score. I don't know how you. No, no. I mean, and I think I'd rather, instead of muddy, an actual score is, again, some sort of sticker, some sort of flag that we can give these films, you know, that. uh, if anything, like Boys Watch. <laughs> yeah, I've said that before. You know, that can be kind of yeah. its own type of You definitely of don't have a lot of girls watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're a little short on that. Crawdads, maybe, was the girls watch. But what do you think? Like yeah. I said, I've had time to think about this. Sure. Because I really liked what he brought up. Yeah. Also, I, an excellent when I first note. Saw, yeah. An it, excellent It's note. solid. And the first, and it's great that we have somebody using the site, too, which is always <laughs> nice. Because when he first, you know, said the Room 23, Expendables 22, Justice yep. League 17, I'm just like, well, damn, shit, you've got a point. Mm. But then I thought about, well, what do we actually rate scores on? And it is, it's a lot more than just functionality. It's true. It just so happens that a lot of, like I said, when a film is mm-hmm. functioning like off the charts, typically it does do really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it does it's not. Yeah, it's, it's a, it coincides with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of how I came to that conclusion. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think functionally, I, and this is uh, talk about an ideal type of producer note because clearly, Matt, you have a you know you you've spent time on the site. That's a vested interest that right. we want to hear in, in that type of functionality. So I think we, I, you know, obviously not putting anything to the to the audio, <laughs> you know, <laughs> signing on the dotted line. I think some sort of uh, some sort of special notation uh, for so bad it's good is probably the middle ground that i would want um maybe we should just have a little stamp yeah that's what i'm thinking like a sticker that we could place on the jpeg of the poster bottom corner right below or right below the score yeah because that's the thing when you still got a 23 Mm -hmm. that's really bad but then if you have the nope this has the so So bad bad it's it's good good. gold stamp of approval (laughs) as far as the score overall i don't think the room you agree that the room shouldn't be a two no i I get functionality functionality No, see, it's see been that's a while. What, I think functionality-wise, it's a two. Yeah, but enjoyment, like you sitting there and watching the film mm-hmm. and straight up enjoyment, like I understand that it's so bad that you're laughing your ass off at its badness. <laughs> and but I that's really part am. of the enjoyment. Oh uh, yeah, for you're sure. You're not enjoying the Justice League being poor CGI and poor writing or acting. Right, right. You know, it's like it's truly not enjoyable to sit yeah, through. Yeah. The room is enjoyable. To sit yeah. And that, and that may that, be where he cracks counts. into the twenties. I mean, it's 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 kind of odd to to draw hairs over seventeen to twenty two, but uh, but I mean that's but two maybe totally different in, films. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. it does make one film is like a, a C rate, low budget, and the other one is <laughs> massive. 
you know, millions of dollars behind it. Yeah, it's true. It's a long way to say at its core mm-hmm. why we even started and exist mm-hmm. is because, hey, is this film worth a watch? Sure, sure. And I think this represents these films, actually. Yeah. Od- yeah. Oddly enough. But I do love the idea of highlighting So Bad It's Good in some way. Absolutely. Whether it be a separate page or, like you said, a little mark. Yeah, and uh, maybe some some way beyond just the, the verbal or, or the, the audio review itself. Because I think in, in a snapshot, you're not going to be able to pick that up. And maybe that does need to be on more of a face of it. Yeah, well, and I think... I think a lot of the times, like, the more people catch on to the site, like, the amount of times people Google something or check Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. is quite a lot. You just sure. pull out your phone and say, what yeah, did I get or something absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And I think the more our site catches on and the more people kind of tune in and, and check mm-hmm. us out, there's going to be a lot more just quick stops at the site yeah. where you don't have time to get the 10-minute mm-hmm. or 15-minute kind of exposition on it. Yeah. So maybe just having that, like, oh, okay, 23, but mm-hmm. there's something at least juicy here. <laughs> yeah, crack up in a beer, you're right. going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt D., so... Phenomenal for, note. Phenomenal. Yeah, I was, like I said, I had a blast thinking about that and our structure and, yeah. like, how we could actually play around with that. So that mm-hmm. was a great note. Thank you so much. Thank you for producing the Daily Ratings. You are the executive producer of episode 54, uh, and you will have that credit forever. Uh, you can go out and flaunt it all you want. <laughs> You're all about this flaunting. I Why love was, it. Well, you know, <laughs> one day it's going to mean something. People are going to be like, oh. you produced the other day. Hired. Hired. <laughs> episode 54. Yeah. I love that episode. <laughs> um, so, Matt, thank you again. And folks at home, um, you know, a lot of you know the spiel already. So we're completely producer-supported. We're growing out the value-for-value model. Are you finding the podcast or the website valuable to you over the past year? Are you finding yourself more into film than you were before? If you could, could you throw us back some value through monetary support? It's at dailyratings.com. You head to the donations tab. And any amount of value you want, just like Matt this week, was 10 bucks. Uh, you can go ahead and send in a donation and a note our way. We appreciate everyone who's getting excited about it, spreading the word, and we couldn't be uh, couldn't be more grateful for those Absolutely. of you who take the time and the money and send our and way. And have it's a incredible. Best, vested interest in us. You know, I mean, our, uh, the development of, of everything that we're doing here. Yeah. So, huge. All right. With that, we're going to go to our last film here. I don't know if it takes a lot of explaining to do. I did some research of this original film back okay. when I put it on the site. It was kind of nice kind of going through mm, that and all mm-hmm. the directors and the, all the movies that came out of this. Mm-hmm. Again, it's newly released. This is Hell Razor by David Bruckner. Mm-hmm. We covered this director before, but with Hellraiser, this was done already in the eighties, eighty seven, eighty seven, and then there was three or four movies that came out attached to this oh, same. More like nine. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. This was oh. running to the dirt. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So, what do we get? Why did we return to this? And why does it so special that? It's literally the exact same name as the first film. Yeah, so it, it, this is, uh, you know, the, the Hellraiser series was born from Clive Barker. Um, uh, Clive really is a visionary, uh, a nightmarish visionary, but he is, uh, he has a very definitive style to his, um, to his gore, to his, to his horror visuals. Uh, so much so that's really his brand, and Hellraiser is a great example of this. This is a direct reimagining of the book, The Hellbound Heart, uh, that the original 1987 film was based off of so they're both based off the same book okay different interpretations when did the book come out 
Is it like an I old? Okay. No, uh, definitely probably within the 80s. Oh, okay. All right. Got it. But yeah, this is a reboot, a Hulu original as well. Viewer beware. <laughs> Viewer beware, but last one we did was Prey. Yeah, that's true. And that was okay. True. Yeah, they're definitely making a push here. Uh, I mean, just kind of restarting series, reimagining series. That seems to be the the uh, the corner on the market yeah, that they're if pushing they're good, for. If they're good, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many sequels spawn from that original film, but, you know, rest easy, folks at home all of them are irrelevant to this reboot remake and i would say thankfully so because despite a very consistent hellish imagery you know uh, uh, almost a, a a style of its own uh, these are one this is one of those horror franchises that was just run into the ground because just because that first one was so successful yeah and uh I, I mean realistically that first one i think i gave a 44 so like i had problems with that film the visual design was not one of them and i could definitely see why it it spawned this uh you know this uh you know people wanted more pinhead people wanted more of the cenobites you know being this this yeah, demonic if force you could kind of go through because like i said doing the research for the film it mm-hmm. the, i really like fell in love with the premise a little bit sure and how crazy it was or just the idea of you have all these individual things with different names all into their uh, yes, own. Yes, there's a lore to it, if you will. Yeah, if yeah. you could just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, in, in every one of these films, there is an artifact uh, that is a, a powerful puzzle box, uh, and it really is in every entry. This puzzle box allures its victims uh, into toying and playing with it. A puzzle is is begging to be solved uh, until it springs open and stabs the user in some way. Uh, And once that blood is shed, it acts as a beacon to invite creatures from another dimension to hunt down the victim. And from that, from that layer, I mean, is it too, you know, original from even other, you know, 80s type of horror? No, it's about, you know, getting hunt down and, you know, by a creature or or a singular creature. Right. I think it's all, the devil is in the details. The devil is in the execution of Hellraiser and Clive Barker's style. These horrific creatures are the Cenobites and... There is such a vast storytelling to just their design because they really are shocking to see. You know, there is a, there really is a lore. There's a world building behind why they look the way they do. Uh, They are demonic creatures, sometimes called angels even belonging to kind of a nightmarish sin realm. Uh, the victims themselves, it's not just a simple slasher. The If anything, there is an eternity of torture for them in store when dealing with the Cenobites. This is not just, oh, you're dead. You know, you got caught. Right. No, there <laughs> right. is a, you know, there is almost a an infinite, uh, an infinite uh, destiny that awaits them by just playing around with this puzzle box that... You know, they will be tortured uh, for what the Cenobikes see as pleasure, you know, which in reality is just horrific pain. So, uh, very 80s, definitely very late 80s, you know, that first Hellraiser covered in leather, you know, Pinhead is very, very metal as well in his look. Uh, I would say some some praise I have for the creature design here of the Cenobites in this new one is that it's definitely evolved a a bit. Um, They've gotten a little bit more horrific. Um, Do you get the same Cenobites? Like, are they about yes. the same type of torture or something like that? Or the, yes. Whatever breed. The same angel, demon. Yeah, right. absolutely. There, there vi- are repeats because okay. they are like almost not named character. We don't really ever get the names. Maybe in future sequels we'll get names, but they are specific Cenobites to it. 
and but visually just more pleasing and just cooler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, and, and visually striking in, in new ways. We um, because of CGI, because of you know obviously Hulu backing this, we get a lot of interesting effects to show us the process of maybe how a you know a set of bike comes about uh, and the body mutilation, the body horror that comes with that. So I think a lot is is done to that is positive here, and David. Bruckner, like I've mentioned multiple times on the podcast, uh, is a director I keep my eyes on. Mm -hmm. Um, The Ritual is a favorite of mine. Uh, Very solid, solid movie. Even The Night House that we covered on the podcast specifically uh, was a film that I I liked quite a bit. I think, unfortunately, this is probably his uh, continuing in a decline, though, on this film. Uh, It really makes me sad to say because... I'm not again. That first movie, I don't think is great. I think right. the visual design is cool. I think Clyde Barker's definitely a visionary. Yeah, I did not think it was a good movie. Clearly, once again, execution. Yeah, weird and not there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just bad storytelling, bad acting. You know, there was a it was a you know cheaper movie. The sequels definitely not going anywhere. Never watched them. <laughs> definitely wasn't doing a deep dive for this episode. You know, <laughs> I wasn't putting myself through that. So, I was really excited by this and said okay you know this this director clearly can do good stuff yeah. what is he going to do with this remake and i think it just i don't know it kind of falls somewhere in the middle I'll, I'll mention it a few times this is like hellraiser with training wheels and i think that is a good and a bad thing interesting i think if anything yeah. hellraiser yeah. maybe needs some training wheels to to bring people into the very grotesque and uh, and brutal universe that it has yeah and i wouldn't and maybe this is i mean let's be honest it's kind of like a rebranding and it's start, oh, starting oh, yeah. over in ways. So it For is a sure, little bit reboot. of like, okay, new audience, younger audience who's of age mm-hmm. now. Let's just, okay, here we go again. Absolutely. Yeah. So the premise here, uh, like I said, is that same puzzle box that gives us this kind of uh, hypnotic um, draw to the users. Uh, they are they're almost uh, driven mad to solve it. And uh, same type of premise that... When solving the puzzle box, it's going to injure you in some way, and that shed blood will bring about the Cenobites. I thought this, you know, this this rendition, it might just be a slower film, uh, and I thought it was just they were, again, with this kind of this idea, this pitch of Hellraiser with training wheels. They wanted to create a slower engagement to not kind of give away the goat, you know, to sure. to what the what the Cenobites are about, uh, and that may be a case here. But honestly, I think writing wise, it's a, just a bad case of telling rather than showing. Mm-hmm. We learn quite mm-hmm. a lot, if anything, through exposition dumps about this films. Maybe even more than we've even learned in the real series. Again, I'm not, you know, eight plus movies. I'm sure everything has been explored. But, <laughs> um, but it, particularly the puzzle box, it, it, it very rarely matches the the horror sequences. We get so much delivered to us that we know quite a lot walking away from this film about that larger world building to these horrific creatures. That's not really delivered in the horror itself. It's delivered in exposition, and then we get the horror. And again, classic case, it is telling, not showing. If, if, if that makes sense. Should I elaborate on the show, don't tell? No, as, as no, 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 no. Okay. And out of that, it's come up so much in, in, in recent episodes as sure, well. Sure, And it's kind of been a problem. Yeah. 
because yeah. well we talked about it with with like even the predator films yeah very true you know, it was the same deal oh anytime when you're so right oh man I yeah the ex- to, uh, the predators and the predator man if this movie is taking its time or trying to explain things to the audience that's mm-hmm. fine but there's a big difference between that and having our hand held mm. to the point of just like it's insulting and it's the worst product yeah yeah it's fun as an audience member to watch something and figure things out or to mm-hmm. have to pay attention to a film. Mm-hmm. Exposition dumps, which you have talked about a lot, yes, in, yes. specifically in one of the Predator movies, Yep, it just ruins it. It really does. It, it's just, you know, can we do anything as the audience member here? You know, <laughs> we, does it need to be spoon-fed? Bingo. Bingo. And it's been, com- it's been coming up a few times now. Absolutely. And, you know, and like I said, folks, don't get me wrong, uh, Hellraiser, the original, probably not a great movie in its own right. Looking back on the records, mm-hmm. I gave it a 44. Yeah, so, forty-four. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, this was well into the the sprint of me putting serious consideration into this. So, for what it's worth, it, this this film is a little bit more slow burn to introduce us there. But what we're being introduced to is not the sim. It doesn't it doesn't have the simplicity of even that first film. That first film is really crazy out of the gate. We get to see so mm. much of the Cenobites. We're introduced to the, if you will, the the, the main you know <laughs> the main cast of, of demons and a lot of their lore. And maybe going back to that film, it was a little bit too much of a shotgun blast. But at least it's being told through the horror. Right, at least sure. it's being told through our victims. Uh, here, it's our characters reading a book. And then putting the pieces together. And then we got to deal with the friends showing up and being fodder for the horror film. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, that's a perfect bridge. Our cast of victims here is a group of recovering addicts. I think additionally, uh, I was about this because there's kind of a spin to the temptation of the artifact that is themed well with their struggles to substances. You know, Bruckner is again proving his horror can go deeper into the psychology of our characters. So I do want to give some praise there, but it was so frustrating to watch mm. these characters' actions. Oh man, we got we get some real dumb, dumb horror character. Oh yeah, 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 just the worst. It falls a lot on our main girl. Okay. Her logic for keeping the puzzle box is that she can save the people that take it, even though she has seen Pinhead and, and these and these these horrific... I mean, folks, pull up a Google search of anything Hellraiser, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to explore this a little bit further. You know I mean? I, I was visited by this this monster, you know? Uh, it, it takes at least until 30 minutes, 30 minutes in the film for her to actually do anything logical. There are, no joke, five-plus opportunities for her to walk away from this thing, and there's nothing. There's not even an attempt you know to do so it's okay just like it's frustrating for yeah, all the bad reasons exactly e- even if the outcome is ultimately going to be the same uh, that they say no to the character in some way sure from yeah a story yeah, perspective yeah, yeah. at least explore that you know what i mean sure. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is hurt by the supporting characters as well there's a uh, a setting switch about about halfway through and just when you think oh man she's she's really on her own now here uh, all the friends, all the friends just show up at this random location. It's like this mansion in the middle of nowhere, and they all just, they're, they're there the next scene. And it's just like, <laughs> okay, well, clearly, this is manipulating into, we need body count for the horror, you know? Right, yeah. It's just, it just feels so cheap. Oh, man. It's just, it just feels like every other horror film, you know, and how they're using their cast. Generic as generic can be. Exactly. Yeah. So. Unfortunate. 
Yeah. Especially with this director, you know? Exactly. I'm really rooting for Bruckner. Yeah. I know. So uh, uh, kind of praise and criticism in two directions. I like what was done there with where we're sourcing our characters and what that means to the puzzle box and the, and, and, and the film, but also how our characters are used is, once again, just not not a good implementation, just falls into very a generic horror implementation to it. If you haven't seen anything Hellraiser, this might be a better watch for you as there will be more of a mystery to the Cenobites' motives um, and the exposition dumps might actually be a little bit more of a welcome addition because you, you'll be asking, well, what the hell are these these creatures about? Mm-hmm. Luckily, it, it doesn't get crazy until about two-thirds of the film, so I think there might be a more well-crafted glide up into or escalation of, of stakes here where again that first Hail Ra- hellraiser movie it is wild out of the gate uh, i think for me personally that was a point of praise yeah but again i have to think here this is something that you know someone may click on on hulu scrolling you know they got their food in front of them they got to figure out what they're going to watch you know this is maybe that's a little bit more better suited for the medium and i'm okay with that yeah yeah. yeah, that 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 part I'm okay with. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that that's again always trying to give perspective of where this could hit for people. I return to my summary thoughts though: is is Hellraiser on training wheels? Not the worst for Hulu original, but disappointing for me from a very promising director, and unfortunate that I. I was not enjoying his his third or, or I don't even know how many works he's done but you know my third movie I've really been excited for him specifically mm-hmm. as a director just kind of came out middle of the road for me we're going to go ahead and give Hellraiser 2022 a 52. Hmm, 52, yeah. yeah. Pretty, that's middle of the road as middle of the road can be, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, not not as strong as Prey as far as like reboots to, fran- or not yeah. reboots, but you know, kind of reimagines franchises. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what maybe a hardcore Hellraiser, you know, they watched all nine. <laughs> apparently there's a biker like a true one. fan. <laughs> there's like a biker Hellraiser, apparently. <laughs> one of them. Uh, <laughs> I would be interested though to, to hear what diehard fans would say of this one because I definitely was in. I was not uh, a, a diehard fan. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I wonder what they would think. Maybe they would absolutely hate it because yeah. if you're a diehard fan, that first one's probably just like one of the best things you've ever seen. Mm, well, true. And true. this is just dumbing it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it know? is definitely watered down. So. Interesting that Hulu picks it up again. You know, it's I don't know. I don't hate that they went back to the IP. Yeah. Um, and tried to rebrand it a little bit, but uh, okay, but but a fifty-two percent for Hellraiser, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to get excited about. I'm not it. in love with it, and believe yeah. me, you know, if there was if there was anywhere I could have shown a little bit of bias, it would be towards Bruckner as yeah. a director. Yeah, and I, I'm telling you, nah. Okay, all right. Well, looking at these scores, is there anything else you'd like to add? We're gonna roll credits here. I, we're running a little bit long. There is one note, of course. Uh, we did not cover the latest Halloween movie, and uh, yeah, in the planning committee. You know, we, we get in the boardroom, folks. We got, <laughs> yeah. we got 12 men on screens, you know, from different countries. We say, what are we going to review for the daily rating? <laughs> we send it through legal. Yeah, we got to yeah. go through corporate. Exactly. HR has got to approve it. No. <laughs> but uh, Halloween, you know, this is the 12th entry with Halloween ends. And we, you know, Tom Doing and I well talked. well theaters. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tom and I talked about it and kind of reluctantly said, Ari, we, we can't cover 12 movies you know what i mean it's too much you know i was the one who was like no yeah i actually i was you kind of were, pushing yeah, forward a little Vin bit was kind of yeah you, i liked the challenge of 12 movies and then but. i just told i told him he then has to watch 12 <laughs> movies 
Including a movie called H2O. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which is, ooh. I, you know, maybe, I don't know. I guess, Not I guess. saying that we won't ever cover this. Maybe we will in the sure, future. Sure, sure. But it's just, uh, it's just a big undertaking. Ah, uh, yeah. And is it big. worth it? Yeah. You know? I don't know. If, but, if we broke this up into two specials, mm-hmm. one that's two specials, mm-hmm. they only come out one a month or one every other month. Right, exactly. So do we want to... To dedicate that just to Halloween as a franchise. You we know? did come up... Well, here's what the thought was that I liked, mm-hmm. and then this is why I said this is, no, not happening. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we will do it in the future. Yeah. The original plan was to watch these. Yep. And we do it them all in one special. Yes. One special, 12 films. Rapid fire. And we do rapid fire, five, six minutes. That's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. per film. But then the problem was... Still watching, still watching 12, 12 movies, movies for skin a five, in the game for is a the five minute review. Yeah, It's just... Yeah. A, for what we have going on right now, it's a little much. It is, it And is. I think there's better content. We have better things planned mm-hmm. for specials coming up. Exactly. So uh, why I bring this up, though, is, is one, if you're wondering where the Halloween review is, that's where it is. In the ether. Nowhere. <laughs> and, and more than anything, you know, we have been love hearing from, from our listeners. If you are a hardcore Halloween fan, maybe give me your, your best stab at the critical five that we would, we would, we would cover, if anything. Ooh, yes, a fan. Yeah, that's I would good. love to, you know, because I'm always coming up with See, watch lists myself. I would love to hear from a diehard Halloween in fan. In the future, that would know. be, you know, yeah. and maybe even that would be fun. We get, like, our social medias going and everything mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. to put up polls or something Absolutely. where you guys could all even just go ahead and give your thoughts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Some like it. sort of call to action of just say, hey, you know, if you are, are passionate about that, you could right. say, you know, what five are, are the must-watches from that franchise, even if they're not like the super high quality. Uh, I'd be more than happy right, to Right, but out of that. 12, if you drop seven of them, yeah. what are the best five? The that might be... John Carpenter, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. be at least, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. But, uh, okay, good note. That's where Halloween yeah, yeah. is. But okay, behind Vin, the back burner. Then we thank you for watching these spooky movies. And folks at home, we're going to run it down one more time here. We have Vampire with a seventy-one percent possession with a seventy-seven percent, Dead Alive with a twenty-five, In the Earth with a fifty-seven, and Hellraiser with a fifty-two percent. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs> enjoyed the podcast if you would would you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by the dailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us we're looking to build this into something large and great but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs>